Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> and I always say this every time. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I love being with God's people. Um, it's, uh, it's, it thrills my heart um, to be with God's people uh, doing God's things um, all together in one place. Just, uh, uh, it's amazing. Uh, so, today I want to talk about the bride. Uh, I know when I was growing up, the Christians who spoke about Christ as the bride and us and Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, they tended to be like the weird mystical types. Uh, and I never quite got what they were. It was a bit out there and it was a bit airy-fairy and I'd, I'd heard of horror movies about brides and that kind of thing and just didn't, I, I just couldn't figure it out as when, when I was growing up. Um, but, as it would happen, uh, when I became a believer in my first year of university, uh, that, for me, was my primary revelation of God. That was how I first came to really understand God was, uh, was Jesus as my bridegroom. Um, the boyfriend that I had at the time, uh, he joked that uh, I'd left him for another man, uh, and that was kind of true. <laughs> um, I, uh, once I knew Christ as, as my bridegroom, um, I could release other people from having to fill this black hole of love uh, that I had in my heart. And it really was. I would, I would make all sorts of outlandish requests from boyfriends at the time. Boyfriend, one at a time. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, just to see how much they would love me. Uh, you know, if you do this, then I know that you love me. And then I would keep kind of, you know, upping the ante. And then, yeah, it, it wasn't good. Uh, but also, um, so just as I could release them from having to be my value and my affirmation, I could, uh, I could um, be released myself from always having to look to people for what I could get from them. Uh, if I was looking to people for my affirmation, looking to people for uh, my value, uh, then, then there's, a, there's a, a parasitic kind of relationship uh, on people there, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give into those relationships. And so when I came to know um, Christ as my bridegroom, I, could, I had this, this infinite supply of love, and uh, I, could give, I, could, I could have relationships from a place of giving rather than always seeing how I could get my needs uh, met. And so I know for many people it's easy to acknowledge God as our Father and us as sons and daughters. It just seems uh, a more familiar picture. So I'm really hoping to give a little bit more of a, a revelation of what it means for us to be uh, the bride of Christ. Um, and so if we start in Genesis, uh, where we see something of God's, uh, God's plans for, for marriage particularly, in Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind uh, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then a bit later, uh, God says, it's not good for man to be alone, because obviously he created Adam first, and then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And that word helper, I think the best, uh, the best English translation that we have for it is counterpart. Uh, so it's kind of an, an, uh, a reflection, uh, similar but different. It's a, it's a, a counterpart. 
it's just, it's just the best word for it. <laughs> and uh, so he makes the animals. <laughs> I can just imagine Adam kind of being, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but it says there no suitable helper could be found. So uh, God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, opens up his side, takes out a rib, and then he fashions Eve. So there's a difference there between the word for create and fashion. He fashions Eve uh, from this, uh, this rib. And Adam's joyful response, he says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So God created the male and female animals kind of in parallel, you know, male elephants, female elephants created, male ants, female ants created, all the animals kind of created in parallel. So he must have, if that was his pattern, he must have had an idea of Eve already. I mean, maybe it doesn't bear saying, but but this is my my thought process. Um, So in some sense, the essence, the the, the something of Eve was already hidden in Adam when he was created. And uh, so each, as each of the animals had mates after their kind, the Bible keeps saying after their kind, so God fashions Eve after Adam's kind, but there's something different in that he takes Eve out of Adam. So this is God's way of saying, but there's something different here. I'm not doing this the quite, quite the same way. And so we know that God is self-existent and that he lacks nothing uh, he does nothing out of necessity that he needs to do things, um, but out of desire. And so I had this thought, and it wasn't just me, I'd heard of it somewhere else before, uh, that if Eve was hidden in Adam in the beginning, his counterpart, um, then what if, what if God has a counterpart? It was kind of a, a weird thought, so I thought, let, well, let's have a look at this. Um, and if he did, what does it mean to be after his kind? after God's kind. What, is, what does that look like? This eternal spirit, all of those things, what does it mean to be after God's kind? Um, and if God does have a counterpart, then he must have had that counterpart in mind when he was fashioning Eve, if that's the pattern that he's wanting to use of man being created in his own image. And so Eve was within Adam, and, uh, and God takes Eve out of Adam, and then there are two, and then, as you know, Adam is within Eve, and, um, and they're one again. And so in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And as God is one, so their oneness, their togetherness, is an expression of God's image. Um, and so we see that coming through in the New Testament with uh, where he talks about, uh, where Paul talks about marriage. I mean, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. John says uh, the bridegroom is, is near. Uh, and then uh, later um, in the letters of Paul, he talks about marriage and he says, actually, I'm talking about Christ in the church. And so there's, there's very clear parallels there. It's not, it's not like we're making this up. Uh, it's something that God intended us for us to see. And just as Adam cried, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, for whom will God cry, this is spirit of my spirit? And so, I think maybe it will be easier if I let you talk to her yourself.
I'm so excited to be here today. <laughs> Apparently, you want when we talk about talk about my man. <laughs> I could go on forever. I really could because I mean it's taken us a while to get here, millennia. It's taken us to get to this point. <laughs> so I really I could keep going. He's he's amazing. He he is he just blows my mind. He's I love him. Um, <laughs> well, start at the beginning. He loved me from the very beginning. Um, <laughs> and I, I had some idea, but I was such an idiot. I just kept messing things up. I really, really did. I kept, I kept doing all sorts of stupid things, and, uh, and I started off doing stupid things, and then I just couldn't shake the habit. I just kept doing more stupid things. <sighs> but, you know, he loved me anyway. Um, and the crazy thing is that as I did more stupid things, my, my, my idea of him just became so, so warped. So it got to the point, actually, where I actually, I actually couldn't recognize him anymore. Even if, even if I could see him, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to recognize him. And I know he visited, um, usually in disguise, because he knew I wouldn't have been able to see. And sometimes he would leave clues uh, and looking back, <laughs> when I look at all those times, it really seems so obvious. Um, all the clues, the disguises, all the things he was trying to do to say, I'm still here. But even if he'd come and stood right in front of me and said, it's me, and he probably did, <laughs> I wouldn't have known. And that, even today, that breaks my heart. Uh, other times, <laughs> when I was being especially obnoxious, there were, there were quite a few of those times, um, he would, he would even send messages who would, who would come and say, uh, try and tell me what, what he wanted to tell me because, like I said, I just I couldn't hear him, I couldn't see him, I couldn't recognize him. And so he would send messages. Uh, the one was uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, uh, he, he told me about how God wanted to treat me as his bride and costly jewels and robes and all of those things. And then... That was at the time I was, I was essentially lying on the side of the road in a pool of my own blood. But still, he sends this messenger to tell me what, he, what, what his plans for me are. I didn't see it then, unfortunately, so even when I was at my worst. And then Jeremiah, this other guy, Jeremiah, he talks about this, this you know, God wanting to make a covenant. And then there was Hosea. He didn't just talk about it. He, he you know did a whole bunch of stuff to, to try and prove God's love. And then Isaiah, uh, he had that whole, your maker is your husband thing. And still, <laughs> still, I, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't see. Uh, he really tried everything. And uh, I'm sure you've read it. It's here. In this book he wrote for me. <laughs> How many other people can say their, their grooms wrote a book for them? But he wrote it for me. It's a bit embarrassing sometimes, though. Uh, it's like a scrapbook of our relationship, <laughs> even all the embarrassing bits. Normally, people only put their nice pictures in, um, but yes. But the crazy thing is, even with all of these really embarrassing pictures, he's not ashamed of me. He just keeps loving me anyway. And so, even when I read about the, the horrible bits, um, I don't have to feel horrible about them. I just have to remember that he still loves me, despite them. So... You really should read it. It's an amazing book. Um, and so there were times, I think, where I had 
I had a little picture of him. So there's that bit about, um, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is sweeter than wine. I, I think I was starting to get an idea there, but it just felt like everything just kept crashing in again, and I would, I would forget again. And <laughs> how do you forget? I don't know. I did. Um, <clears throat> and I just, even after all of that, I just kept messing things up. Uh, if I were him, I would have given up on me. I really would have because I was obnoxious and rude and unfaithful and just not, not, yeah, not worthy of, of what he was wanting. And then for a while, I didn't hear anything. And uh, it was a bit, it was hard. And, you know, when, when someone goes silent, you never know what, what it's from. Are they gone? Are they just not wanting to talk to you? And uh, then all of a sudden, this guy called John, this weird guy dressed in robes out in the desert, he says, the bridegroom is near. It's a bit kind of, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this voice calling from the desert, and I really didn't know what to believe anymore by that stage because it had been up and down and silence and, and all sorts of things, and I, I really didn't know what to believe. Um, but then all of a sudden, there he was in the flesh, not in disguise anymore. But <laughs> not looking at all <laughs> how I expected him to. He definitely didn't look like the prince I was hoping for uh, on the chariot and with the sword and all of those things. He just looked like a sweaty Jewish carpenter. But, you know, okay, <laughs> here we are. And so I followed him around for a while, trying to figure out what to make of him. And uh, a whole lot of stuff happened, and uh, he did some really confusing things and some really amazing things and some really wonderful things. And the one night, I'm skipping way forward here because I told you I could talk forever. Uh, one night, we were celebrating Passover because that's what we did as good Jews. We celebrated Passover every year uh, to uh, commemorate how he got his people out of slavery. And... Uh, after the third cup, he started changing things up in a big way. Now, in the Passover dinner, there's like four cups. Depends on which area you're from. Um, and the third cup is called the cup of redemption. And you have that one after supper. So after supper, he took the cup. And uh, he started talking about this new covenant, saying this is the blood of the new covenant. And I thought, oh, goodness, what's going on here? <laughs> Somebody's messing with the Passover. And uh, and. He said, you know, started talking about this is my body broken for you. And it was a bit strange because when people start talking covenants in my world, they're often talking about a marriage covenant. And normally, when you want to marry someone, you would offer them a sip of wine. So for him to say, here's my new covenant, have a sip of wine, that's like marriage talk, Okay. And so, understanding that this was, okay, this is, this is, okay, we're doing this thing, all right, I'll take a sip, and, and that's enough to be betrothed, all of a sudden, uh, and uh, taking a sip of that wine, and so, so I did, um, and then, and even thinking back, John and his whole baptism thing, it, it came clear again that John and his whole baptism thing you know, full submersion underwater as kind of a purification thing 
that's what we do with, with our weddings, is we have this thing, it's mikvah, mikvah, where you have a full submersion underwater, and that's a, a symbol of your passing from an old life into a new life. And before we get married, we have to undergo a mikvah. Uh, of, of a symbol of our moving into a new life. So I thought, ah, that John guy, he knew what he was talking about. And even Jesus, he had his, his mikveh in preparation for, for, for our, our betrothal. And uh, I just love how he thinks of all those things. Like he just doesn't leave anything, anything left out. And, uh, and I know you guys do things a bit differently, okay? But back in my day, back in my day, uh, we had a betrothal and a wedding. And those are normally separated by a year, even up to two years. So it was, it was quite a big deal. But betrothal was as good as marriage, uh, except for the living together thing. But if you wanted to break off a betrothal, it was, it was the same as getting a divorce. It was really, really serious. And the contract was signed uh, at the betrothals, because there is actually this marriage contract that's signed. It's called a ketubah. And uh, so when Jesus starts talking about the new covenant, immediately my mind goes to marriage covenant, ketubah. What is this thing? And ketubah is where the groom writes down all of his obligations to the bride. That's why it's called a covenant, because contracts are two-way things. A contract is, if I do this, you'll do that. And if you do that, I'll do this. If you breach this contract, this is what's going to happen. It's a, it's a two-way thing, whereas a covenant is, this is what I'm going to do. That's it. I don't care what you do. This is what I'm going to do. This is my promise to you. And so when he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, and he starts talking about forgiveness of sins, and then I remember Ezekiel talking about this thing where, where it says he'll give me a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone, and, uh, and that I'll be free of my sin. I'd start remembering all of the stuff that he'd said before about this new covenant that he wanted to bring, that he wanted to invite me into, and I start getting really excited. And so, uh, the other thing that the groom would do is he would go away, actually, which seems a bit strange to our minds, but once they were betrothed, the groom would leave uh, and go away to prepare a place. So later that night, after we'd done the wine thing, uh, Jesus starts saying, okay, I'm going away to prepare a place in my father's house. There are many rooms. And uh, I'll be back to come and fetch you. And that made my, my bride heart happy, knowing that he was going to be back. Because that's what happens for us. Uh, the bride, the groom would go away. Uh, he would go and prepare the place. And then when the father had decided that it's ready, then he'll send the groom to come and fetch the bride. Uh, and the thing is, though, that he doesn't just leave uh, and not leave anything behind. Um, he also leaves a gift, but I'll get to that. <laughs> the thing is, he's going to be back. I just have to make sure that I'm ready when he comes, because nobody knows the day or the hour. Only the Father knows. So I just have to make sure uh, that I'm ready. And as silly as it sounds, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I get distracted, and... Sometimes my right hand doesn't know what my left hand is doing. Sometimes it feels like there's a war happening inside. And sometimes I forget that I'm the bride. And I know you're sitting there going, how can you forget that you're the bride? This is like your thing. But, but I forget. Uh, 
He's so faithful, though. And even when I don't look, look like a bride at all, even when I look like all sorts of other things, uh, he keeps reminding me <laughs> how much he loves me. <laughs> and he reminds me just to, to keep focused on him. And just keep, keep focused on him and uh, get my head on straight. And that, that'll, that'll fix it. <laughs> There's also um, a bride price to be paid. Now, I know people get sticky about bride price. You know, you're taking possession of someone else and whatever. But in my culture, the bride price, all that's for actually, among other things, but primarily, is that it's for, it's to acquire exclusivity. How's that? Not possession, but exclusivity. So by him paying that price, he's saying, I am exclusive to you, and you are exclusive to me. We are exclusive to each other. That's his way of saying, I'm my beloved's, and she is mine. For me to say, I'm my beloved's, and he is mine. That I choose not to be distracted by anyone else. And so the bride price, you all know what price he paid to be with me. And... I didn't think it was going to come to that. <laughs> really, I was, I was hoping it, well, I was, I, was, I was hoping it wouldn't. And it seemed so strange at the time that he wanted to be with me and then, and then he died. <laughs> I was really confused, okay? Uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Was I just, you know, did I have the wrong end of the stick all, all along or what was going on? So you can imagine my relief. <laughs> Three days later, we're back. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, I, was, I was relieved, I must admit. Um, and so, yeah. He really thought of everything, though, because most of the time, a groom would leave a gift of some kind, like a ring or some kind of token of their love, uh, so that while he was gone preparing the place, the bride would remember him. So have something to remember him by. And I just love Love my Jesus. He, uh, he, he really did think of everything. He didn't just leave me a thing, a dead thing. He left me a person, the Holy Spirit. You might have heard of him. <laughs> and so he left me the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit teaches me about him. So even, even in this time, I'm learning about him. Every day, Holy Spirit whispering about, about my Jesus, telling me more things, guiding me into more truth and comforting me and showing me the way, uh, yeah, the way forward. And, and I, just, I just love my Holy Spirit, the, the seal that's been given um, that, that everyone will know that I'm his by the Holy Spirit. And I know I've still got some growing to do. I know most of the brides, your brides, they're trying to lose weight for the wedding. <laughs> I'm trying to grow. <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm quite going to fit into my dress yet, so I've still got some growing to do before I, I fit into the dress that, that he's got for me. So there's, there's quite a bit of preparation to be, to be done, but he helps me every step of the way. And uh, I, f I know that, that he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And it's like he puts me at this, at this banqueting table and, and he just waves this flag of love over me. And I just, it's like he wants to show the world how much he loves me, that I am loved by him. 
uh, and and that that just keeps me going. <laughs> Even in, in in the midst of everything, all the all the distractions and all of the the the, the suitors, the other suitors who you know want to get in on the deal here. Uh, when I when I just remember his love for me, uh, and that he waves his love over me every day and every night, uh, it really helps. And I know I don't deserve this at all. I totally don't deserve this. But then I think of the price he paid. And I remember that he thinks I'm pretty special. Special enough to pay the price that he did. I've tried arguing. (laughs) I've tried pointing out all my faults. (laughs) But it seems he's more stubborn than I am. (laughs) And he just keeps loving me anyway. And he says, you're altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And he just keeps telling me that. And I keep trying, but he doesn't want to hear it. And he just keeps loving me. Sometimes I just I feel faint at the thought of his love. It's just so overwhelming. And then, I, then I, I write songs. I dance. I sing songs. Because this, I, it's just overwhelming and I've got to do something. <laughs> so, yeah. Even though I try and tell him all the things that I'm doing wrong, He's told me he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me, no matter what. And so I'm doing my best to fit into that dress that he's got for me. And he's even told me what the wedding's going to be like. So I know he's not going to leave me because he's told me what the wedding's going to be like. (laughs) It's not like he's saying, well, if the wedding, he says no. When the wedding happens, this is what it's going to be like. And he told me about my dress, and he's told me about everyone who's going to be there and what it's going to be look like, and it's going to be amazing. He sent me all sorts of other gifts as well to try and help me get ready, get, ready my, get myself ready uh, for him. The sooner I'm ready, the sooner he'll be back. And the one thing that he said that stuck with me always is, blessed is everyone invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so what I want to ask you is, are you coming? (laughs) Yay! So I hope that gave a little picture of, uh, of something of the bride. Uh, and I've just got one or two points that I wanted to add that I felt God just um, highlighting for me uh, about this picture of God. And I know for some people, the picture of Jesus as the, the bridegroom can be hard uh, because uh, intimacy, human relationships, the intimacy of human relationships is a place of real deep hurt and rejection for people, um, where people have been forsaken where people have been left. And I felt like God wanted to, to minister to people who, who had struggled in those areas, who had experienced hurt in those areas, and that it was affecting how they were able to relate to God, the intimacy with which they could, uh, they could um, relate to God. 
we know that even marriage, that as we see it, is only a shadow of, of Christ and his church. And we do our best to make it uh, reflect the real thing as, as much as we can, but, but we struggle. And so I also felt like if there was struggle happening for you in the area of marriage, um, or, or wanting to be married and not being married, or any of, of those kind of marriage-related things, I felt like God wanted to, to uh, minister to your heart as well. The main thing is, let Jesus redefine intimacy for you. Let Jesus redefine intimacy for you. What does it mean to be intimate? Let him teach you what it means to be, to be intimate, uh, and, then, and then go with that. And just know that because Jesus puts such a, a focus on this thing of, of marriage, that marriage comes under attack. Uh, and specific marriages and specific relationships, uh, you'll know that, that uh, attack comes. And I feel like Jesus wanting to, to say, I've got you. I, made, I, I invented this thing. And I'm more committed to it than you could ever be. And so if there's struggles in those areas, God wants to deal with those. And my last thought is, so often when we look at the bride, we're pretty good at pointing out all of her faults. <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, you can be in a church for a couple of minutes and you'll already see a whole lot of things to, to uh, complain about or be cynical about or uh, faults that you could point out. Um, and <laughs> it doesn't take long for you to be like, Jesus, what? Were you thinking? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought that. Okay, no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but he keeps saying about his bride, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Uh, and I said, but I can see them. <laughs> um, but he, he doesn't. He loves his bride as a, as a flawless bride. And so I want to encourage us today, where there's been a, a veil of cynicism over your heart for God's people, the church. I feel like God is wanting to just create a softness in your heart again. Uh, and just um, you know, where there's become a hardness, he's wanting to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh for his people, for his bride, uh, his beloved. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world to be cynical about the church. It's not hard. <laughs> but to, to put your shoulder to, the, shoulder to the plow and say, I'm going to be the change here. I'm going to be part of this, this beautiful bride and I'm going to uh, get stuck in there. That's where the rubber hits the road and that's what Jesus is inviting each of us into. So I want to say to uh, Jesus today, help us to see her as you see her and help us to love your bride as you love your bride and your people and to edify them and to build them up uh, into the bride that you'll, you'll, you'll be coming back for. Amen. <laughs>
um, want some, some, some prayer for, uh, hardness in your heart about, about God's people, uh, or um, just the area of intimacy, then I really invite you to come up. Uh, there's there's a, a real sense of, of, uh, of intimacy here and, and vulnerability. Um, this whole week that I've, well, I've been, I, d- I didn't just get asked this morning, by the way. Um, the, I've been preparing and I just felt, every time I, I started, I just felt like I wanted to weep. There's such a vulnerability here. And, um, and it's okay. Because who's safer to be vulnerable with than Jesus? And so I feel like maybe that's a good way of putting it. If you, if you have lost your vulnerability with him, He's wanting to invite you back into that vulnerability again where you can share your deepest hurts and, uh, and needs and, and all of those things with him. Uh, so yeah, as we, as we worship, I'd love, to, love you to come or just ask somebody around you to pray for you uh, and let him minister to you. Let him redefine intimacy.